you're just joining us, I kind of want to catch you up real fast. You know, the last month we've we, we've spent literally the last 29 days as a church family um, praying and fasting with. Uh, about 10,000 Christians from six different countries. So we've, we've joined with some of our church family all over the world, and for the last 30 days, um, we've been praying uh, through the same kind of prayer guide that was actually written by one of our African uh, churches. Uh, one of my dear friends, a brother, he wrote the prayer guide that you've been praying through for the last month. And so this has really been a global effort, and we've been, we've been praying, and tomorrow marks the last day of our, our prayer and our fast uh, together in this season of our church. And I want to just kind of speak into some of the things that we've been experiencing together. So, you know, for the last 29 days, every day I've had conversations with people in our church family, and, and typically the conversations have gone in one or, uh, one or of two directions. And so there have been a, a lot of us over the last month that as we've entered into this journey together, we've experienced unbelievable breakthrough. You've connected with God in ways that you didn't expect. You've heard the voice of the Lord in ways that you didn't expect. In fact, literally, this is not just a made-up stat. In the last 29 days, every single day of the fast, we've had someone in our church literally say, I, I sense God calling me into the mission field. It's been amazing to just what, watch what God has kind of spurred up in our church family over this season. And so for some of you, it's been a season of breakthrough. Uh, for some of you, it's been a season that's been a reminder of all of the barriers that have kept you from enjoying the presence of the Lord. There have been some of you that have like gone so hard after God this season, and, and it's just been marked by resistance. It's been marked by struggle. I was talking to one of my good friends. He's like, this was two days ago. He says, Dave, we're in day 27, and I feel less Christian than I did 27 days ago. And for some of you, that's, that's been your journey. And, and tonight, I want to allow this kind of obscure passage out of Ezekiel 47 to speak to all of us, because this is the beauty about being in a community of faith, is that there are some of you sitting here tonight, and you, are, you have never been more alive in God than you feel right now. And some of you who are alive for God are sitting next to someone that has never felt more cold and dead. And here's what I want you to hear, is that there is space for all of us in the family here at Ethos. And I believe that God has something for every one of us. And it's something you'll see kind of, I think, in this unusual picture. So I remember several years ago, my two oldest sons, Micah, who's now six, and Jack, who's four, uh, it's two summers ago, both of their birthdays are in June, and they decided they wanted to have a kind of a joint birthday party. They wanted to have a pool party in our backyard, which is kind of a problem because we don't have a pool in our backyard. And I don't know what they think we do for a job, but we're not building a pool in the backyard. And they're like, Dad, we're going to have a pool party in the backyard. And so we threw them a, a poor man's pool party. You know, I went to Walmart, and I got the plastic pool and the inflatable pool and the water balloons. And I'm like, this is going to be the greatest pool party in a backyard without a pool in the history of all pool parties. And so we kind of set uh, you know, our ambitions high. And so they're, they're little. They don't care. And we're buying all the stuff. And we're there on the, the pool aisle there in Walmart. And... And I start looking at all the slip and slides. And it's been about two decades since I purchased a slip and slide, mostly because I'm a grown man, you know, but there's, uh, there's been a big gap in my slip and slide purchasing uh, habits over the years. And so we're standing there on the pool aisle, and I had no idea what a vast array of slip and slide options there are. I don't know when the last time you bought a slip and slide was, but it's, it's amazing. And so I'm, I'm standing there, and on the far left-hand side is, is kind of the poor man's slip and slide that I grew up on, just, you know, yellow plastic, and you put a hose on it. Raise your hand if that was kind of... Your slip and slide. Yeah, we grew up in poverty together. Like, <laughs> you know, all the public school kids right there raise their hand, you know. Um, that, was, that was my slip and slide. 
But man, like you keep going to like the slip and slides that the rest of you rich kids had. I mean, it's, it's amazing some of the options. It's like a water park in your backyard. And I remember just seeing all the options. And of course, my kids gravitated right to the end where all the rich kids slip and slides were. I remember there's this one crocodile river, like they, they see it. And on the box, it was just epic. You know, there's this like jungle oasis. There's this raging river. There's a real life crocodile to devour you at the end. All the people on the box are so happy, and they say, that's the one we want. And so I, I remember, you know, selling a kidney and then buying that slip inside and, and, and getting it back to the house, and we, we get it out of the box. You just start pulling it out in the yard, and immediately, I mean, just immediately, the, the feeling of disappointment just begins to wash over my kids as they see the size of the crocodile. It's about this big. And then more disappointment comes as they watch their father try to blow it up with my mouth, and I don't have enough air in me to do it, so it's just laying over limp in the grass. And then they see the jungle oasis. It's not much of a jungle oasis, and so then we hook up the hose, and I'm telling you, it was the moment that despair sunk in. We hook up the hose, and there's no river. It's a trickle. I mean, just water just trickling just down. And I remember them looking at me, and they're like, you are such a failure as a father. No, just, just that feeling. And I go, have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in like one of those moments where, where what you got wasn't what you expected? Like, like what you pulled out of the box didn't match what was on the front of the box. You know, your, your expectations and your experiences were just like, it just atmospheres apart. Have you ever been there before? You know, maybe it's with a product you've purchased. Maybe it's with that guy that you met online and you realize he's not as good looking as the profile picture. He's not as adventurous as he sounded. Have you had that happen? No. Oh. <laughs> Kendall was like testifying. She's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, like some of you have been there before. But hey, have you ever been there with the Lord? In all seriousness, have you ever been there with the Lord? Like, where you had expectations. And you thought, God, like, I'm going to give you this season. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you. And have you ever been in one of those moments where what you got wasn't what you expected with the Lord? Where, where the season didn't match up with the picture on the front of the box, you know? And for some of you, that's been your experience over the last month. You sat in here five weeks ago and we said, man, we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to draw near to the Lord. And you're like, yes, sign me up for that. I'm going to go hard after the Lord. And about two days into this 30-day journey, it was like, and some of you were expecting a river and what you ended up with was a trickle. Some of you were expecting the oasis that you saw in the front of the box and what you got was the desert. And I want to encourage you, if that's what you felt, you weren't alone. And that the Lord is all in it. <laughs> and that he's there. And I want to speak to you for just a minute, because there's this, there's this picture that's unfolding in uh, the book of Ezekiel. And you may not be very familiar with it, but let me give you the cliff notes of Ezekiel's story. Ezekiel uh, was this priest, this prophet who lived several hundred years before the earthly ministry of Jesus. And his life was going pretty good until he was in his mid-20s. And all of a sudden, uh, a group uh, came into his home country by force. They conquered his home country. They literally took him out of his home along with about 10,000 other refugees. And they set them up essentially as kind of indentured servants in the land of Babylon. And he finds himself living in this refugee camp in, in a place where he didn't want to be, doing things he wasn't wanting to do. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a really significant moment in his story. And the book of Ezekiel opens up, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, and I love, I love kind of the glimpse it gives. It says, 
It was my 30th birthday. This is Ezekiel speaking. He says, it was my 30th birthday, and I was sitting on the bank of the river in the refugee camp. Now, I don't know if you've kept up much with what um, Jewish priests in training do, but during uh, the days of Ezekiel, they would start training typically when they're about 12 years old, and they train for 18 years. And their 30th birthday was supposed to be the day that they were ordained into the priesthood. It was the day that it was their moment with the Lord. It was their moment in the temple. It was their moment to, to shine. And all of a sudden, he finds himself on his 30th birthday, and he is so far away from the place he was supposed to be on this day. Have you ever been there before? Where, where what you signed up for is not what you got. What you think the Lord has promised hasn't come to fruition yet. And this is the space where Ezekiel finds himself. He says, it was there on my 30th birthday um, by the river in the refugee camp. And I love how it keeps going. He says, but it was there that I saw a vision of God. And this is one of the most powerful phrases, I think, in all the Bible. It's in this, this moment of despair. It's in this moment of discouragement. And Ezekiel realizes he doesn't need another book. He doesn't need another conference. He doesn't need another pep talk. What he gets is a vision of the living God. And the rest of the book is this outworking of these visions that God was giving Ezekiel. You come to Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48, it's the end of the book, and it, it's kind of the climax. It's the kind of the triumphant vision at, at the end, where God is giving Ezekiel this vision of what the Lord is going to do in the future. It's supposed to be hope to Ezekiel in the midst of this discouraging situation. And I, I want to just read the first part of it. Look at Ezekiel 47. We're starting verse 1 together. Remember, this is a vision, this angel is, given, is, is giving Ezekiel this kind of virtual reality tour of what it is that God is getting ready to do, verse 1. He says, Then the man or the angel brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This is Ezekiel speaking. And he said, I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. And then the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then came and he brought me through the north gate and he led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water, listen to this huge phrase, verse two, and the water was trickling down from the south side of the temple. Now this is, this is a huge moment. I want you to just kind of notice a couple things here, okay? Uh, during the days of Ezekiel, kind of biblically speaking, typically water represented the presence and the provision of God. It's the reason that the Garden of Eden, when it's described, it's described by the four rivers that kind of hemmed it in because they, they, they believed that the water was significant of the presence and the power of God. It's the reason Jesus, when he shows up in the New Testament, he continually said things like this, anyone that is thirsty, what? Come to me and freely drink. Because water was this like life-giving uh, kind of physical metaphor for the presence of God. Now, I, I want you to notice how this vision unfolds. You know, Ezekiel's kind of in a hard time. He's having a tough situation. And God says, let me show you a vision of what I'm getting ready to do in the future. And so he takes them, he shows them the future temple, and he says, there's the temple, there's the place where my presence has always been. And Ezekiel sees the temple, and he says, I saw the temple, and under the threshold of the temple was water trickling out. Now, this is such a weird vision for us. We hear it and we say, oh, what's the big deal? But I want you to notice this because this vision was not exactly the encouragement that Ezekiel was initially looking for. It's hardly the picture of revival. You know, Ezekiel doesn't see the temple and it's not being flooded with the presence of God. You know, it's not water floor to ceiling pouring out of the sides. He says, I see the temple of God and all I saw was a trickle. 
Have you ever been in the house of God and it just felt like there was a trickle? (laughs) Have you ever been in the place where God was supposed to be and it just felt like a trickle? I wanted the river, but I got a a trickle. I wanted revival and what I got was people's leftovers. I remember one of the early seasons of our our church right after Ethos had gotten started, you know, now there's seven or eight services across a bunch of different places and, and most Sundays are pretty fun around here now. I remember the day when there was less than 20 of us, and sometimes we had no idea who was going to show up. And I remember this one evening in particular being here in the cannery, and Will, uh, who often leads worship for us, he and I came out, and I remember us looking out, and uh, it was like, oh, how many people are here? There's eight people here in this huge room. There are eight of us. And I remember uh, us beginning to play worship, and our eyes were closed, not because we're spiritual, but because we were depressed. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, God, where are all your people? And we expected a river, and what we saw was a trickle. And for some of you, that, that was the last month. You're like, man, this is going to be the month. This is, this is the month when I'm going to experience intimacy with God. This is the month where I'm going to hear his voice. This is the month where I'm going to experience breakthrough. And instead of breakthrough, what you had was barrier after barrier after barrier. Instead of a river, you saw the trickle. Remember one of the first times Sydney and I, my, my wife, one of the first times we ever fasted together over this extended period of time. We had something that we were praying about, something that we really needed clarity from the Lord on. And we went into that fast, uh, that season of prayer and fast, and we thought, okay, God, we're going to pray and fast, and we know that this is probably how you're going to come through. We're going to have clarity. We're going to have courage. You know, all these things are going to come out of it. Do you know what came out of that month of fasting? A whole lot of hunger pains. A whole lot of silence. A whole lot of confusion. And in hindsight, I look back over those years and go, okay, God did some things there. But in the moment, we were looking for a river, and what we got was the trickle. And we didn't even know what to do with it. And for some of you, that's where you're at tonight. Man, Lord, I thought this was going to be the month. But I, I love it. The vision doesn't stop there. You know? So for some of you, that's, that's where you're at. For some of you, though, this was the best month of your life. I had some amazing conversations with, with people in our church who experienced the presence of God in profound ways. And I love the way the vision keeps going. Look at verse three. He says, as this man or the angel kept talking to me, he said, we walked eastward and he had a measuring line in his hand and he measured off a thousand cubits. I don't know if you even know what a cubit is. I've never measured with a cubit. Um, Some of you are probably smarter than me. Uh, Just a thousand cubits is about five football fields. So you can visualize it. He says, this, this angel, this leader, be, begins to show me what it is that God's up to. He says, there's this trickle coming out of the temple, and we walk for about five football fields, and all of a sudden, that trickle is now ankle deep, verse 4. He measured off another five football fields, a thousand cubits, and all of a sudden, the water was knee deep. He measured off another five football fields, and the water was waist deep. He measured off another thousand cubits. And it was now a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? I had this conversation with a guy in our church earlier this month. He says, Dave, for the first time in my life, I've prayed every single day with my wife. And he said, that may not feel very big to you. He says, but I feel like I'm swimming in the river. And I said, no, that sounds huge to me. That's, That's amazing. There's no such thing as a small step in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a small step of of obedience. And for some of you, you've begun to experience the river. For some of you, it just feels ankle deep and you're like, man, I've been in the word every day and God's doing something. 
For, for some of you, you've begun experiencing freedom from some of the sin that's held you back. And I love this, this image. Ezekiel sees the trickle that begins in the temple, but the further he gets away from the temple, the, the larger and larger the presence of God begins to seem. Now, I want you to notice this because this is so counterintuitive to everything we're taught, especially if you grew up in church. When, if you grew up in church, intuitively, weren't you taught that the presence of God was supposed to be most fully seen in the temple? Isn't that what you were taught? Even though no one ever told you that, like you, you kind of felt that somewhere deep down, that, man, the presence of God is going to be seen most clearly there. And I want you to know, I mean, the presence of God is seen as the people of God gather in amazing ways. But I, I want you to see what Ezekiel's beginning to see. Is that although the, the water is springing up in the temple, the temple can never contain the water. So we talked about last week when we were praying through the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that prayer. Jesus doesn't say, your kingdom come, your will be done in the walls of the church as in heaven. He says, no. He says the longing is that revival bubbles up in the temple, but it never stays there. And if revival is contained to the temple, it's not actually revival. And I love this. It begins to bubble up. It begins to spur up. It begins to go. And some of you this season have experienced life at the river's edge. Praise God for that. But I love this because whether you've experienced the breakthrough or whether you have the barrier, whether you've seen the trickle or whether you have been swimming in the river, I think the word that the Lord is giving us in this season is actually the last part of the vision. And I think it's what he's speaking to all of us. Look at this verse, uh, the last part of verse six. He says, then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region, and it goes down into the Arabah. That was, a, that was kind of this desert region where it then enters into the Dead Sea, which is literally the lowest, saltiest kind of place on earth where virtually nothing can live. He says, when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh, and swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water that flows there makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to in England. I don't know how to pronounce that. There will be places for spreading nets, and there will be fish of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, verse 11. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. That's a good thing. Verse 12 is huge. Listen to this. He says, And fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water, listen to this, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for the healing of the nation. So this is the vision that he has. He sees this vision and there's the temple and the presence of God is bubbling up in the temple, but it doesn't remain there. It keeps running down, and uh, I want you to notice this. The, the, the lower the water runs, the further it goes, to the drier places it goes, to the more deadly places it goes. Everywhere the river flows, he says, everything comes to life. And this is one of the coolest pictures of the presence of God at work in the people of God, I think, in all the Bible. This, this image of the, uh, the life of God bubbling up in a community and flowing out into the lowest, deadliest places on earth so that every place they go springs to life. When the presence of God doesn't move the people of God to the lowly places, 
I struggle to believe we've ever encountered the presence of God. Because when the presence of God gets us and stretches us and moves us, he always takes us lower. And I love this image. He says, wherever the river flows, everything, everything comes to life. Okay, this is the, the image that, that Jesus speaks of. This is imagery that you see all throughout the New Testament. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19? I love that moment where the Apostle Paul says, listen, he says, don't you now know that your bodies individually and your body as the community of Christ, that this is the dwelling place of God? What was it that made the temple the temple? What made the temple the temple was that the presence of God was there. Remember, Solomon builds the temple and the presence of God comes down. And they go, the reason this place is significant is because God is here. In the New Testament, the imagery that we get is that when people have been saved by Christ and filled with his spirit, when they gather together, that is now the place where heaven and earth kiss. That in the people of God, the presence of God is made known. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, don't you know that your body is the new temple of the Holy Spirit? It's what Jesus speaks to when he's talking to the woman at the well. He says, I'm telling you, lady, a day is coming when you won't go there or there to worship the Lord, but you'll worship him in spirit and in truth, wherever you are. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 38. He says, anyone that's thirsty, come to me and freely drink, and rivers of living water will flow from within them. I love this imagery all throughout the scriptures, this idea that you and I, by the grace and the power of Jesus, are becoming the new temple, and by the Spirit of God, the bubbling up under the doorframe is happening. And that the life of God is beginning to bubble up in us. And that when the life of God is raising up in God's people, it always flows lower. It always goes to the places that need it most. And I go, Ethos, a lot of things have been happening in this season in, in our church, but I, I believe what has ultimately been happening is that we've been experiencing the bubbling up. Whether you've just experienced the trickle or maybe you found yourself standing on the edge of the river, my word of encouragement to all of us, whether there's been barrier or when there's been breakthrough, is we have not seen anything yet. And that God is just getting started and the water of God's presence is bubbling up in this house of God. And when the water of God's presence is bubbling up, it will always take the people of God to unexpected places. And so don't be surprised if the Spirit of God starts tugging your heart and inviting your feet to travel down the banks of the river to the lowest places that you never expected. Don't be shocked if the Spirit of God begins leading you out of your safety and your comfort for the sake of those that are living in places that have been marked by death because this is where the Spirit of God is attracted. Have you ever noticed that the Spirit of God is drawn like a magnet to the broken the Spirit of God is drawn like a magnet to the humble. The Spirit of God is drawn like a magnet to the helpless. And when the Spirit of God begins to bubble up in the temple of our lives, all of a sudden our feet begin to travel the paths that you see in Ezekiel 47. And I go, I, I don't know what the next season looks like, but man, Ethos, I'm experiencing the bubbling up. <laughs> I'm seeing it. And I go, may we continue to nourish and nurture what it is that God has been doing in us and among us. Amen? Amen. And I go, if this bubbling up was all for us, man, we've, we've missed it. 
But what starts here never, ever ends here. I remember uh, several years ago, one of my good friends, uh, he's kind of been a big brother in the faith to me. His father passed away. It was a really tough season for him. And my, my buddy had the opportunity to preach his father's funeral. And he's never really preached before. It's not really his thing. So he and I are talking about it, and I remember just the words that the Spirit of God gave him to speak at his own father's funeral. They were marked by grace and honor and vulnerability in ways that I've never really seen. The opening words of his dad's eulogy were were this. He said, for most of my life, I was really embarrassed and disappointed in the life that my dad lived. I don't know if you've ever been at a funeral that started that way, but it's uncomfortable. (laughs) He goes on to talk about his dad. He says, my dad was an amazing man, but his life was embarrassing to me in a lot of ways. He worked for 40 years at this factory job that he seemed to hate. I never wanted my dad to come to career day because I thought he doesn't like his job. Why would my friends want to listen to it? He'd worked this job just day after day after day. He'd come home to our house. He'd get home from that long, hard job, and he'd take care of my mother myself and my sister who had special needs. He'd make meals. He'd clean the house. He'd listen to us. He'd love us. He'd serve us. He said, and then I'd watch him at night. By the time we were all getting ready to go to bed, he'd open up the Word. He'd read the Word. He'd pray. He'd go to bed. He'd wake up, and the next morning, he'd pack that same lunch that he took every day in his same lunchbox to the same job that he hated, and for 40 years, he did that. He said, for most of my life, he said, I was embarrassed by that. He said, when my dad died, most of the people didn't even seem to really notice. Even the people that worked with him, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. And he said, and by all discernible measures, my dad's life was just but a trickle. My friend kept going, though. He said, something amazing happened. He said, at the funeral, he said, I began to realize what it was like to grow up downstream of that trickle. He said, I'm sitting there in that room with all of these people that come to honor my father, and I'm looking at my siblings, and my mother who loved Jesus deeply because of my father. He says, I'm looking at his coworkers and our neighbors and our friends who love the Lord deeply because of my father. And he said, and I realized it was no small thing to see the trickle of God's presence in the life of a human being day in and day out. My buddy started thinking about his life, and he's like, man, my, my kids are Christians because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because my dad's a Christian. And he began realizing what had happened because he grew up in the downstream of the trickle. And then I started thinking about this. Remember almost nine years ago when Sydney and I were trying to discern whether or not we should start Ethos. We're scared to death. We're 26 years old. We're like, man, we're, we're too young. We don't know what we're doing. Everybody that we went and talked to, most of them said, don't do it, that's crazy. But I remember going to my friend, this friend whose father had passed away, and I remember he was one of the very first guys that looked me in the eyes and said, you should absolutely do that. (laughs) It's going to be hard, it's going to be crazy, but you should do it. I remember him just being like one of the first guys to pour gasoline on the, the kingdom fire that was burning in my heart. It was after his father passed away and I was listening to him tell that story, I began to realize not only was my buddy living in the downstream of his father's trickle, But all of a sudden, I'm living in the downstream of his father's trickle. (laughs) And our church is living in the downstream of his father's trickle. And I go, how many of you rolled into this place tonight when, man, thank God we get to be at Ethos because of a factory worker from Georgia? (laughs) You have no idea. You have no idea what the Lord is doing in your life. 
And whether you've seen the trickle or the river this month, whatever you've seen, may we set our eyes downstream and allow God to do what only God can do. May we allow God to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. May we allow God to bubble up within us his presence for the sake of those that are living downstream from us. And I go, who knows? Who knows what God is doing in these 30 days? But I know it's not meant to be contained to these 30 days. Probably not meant to be contained to this year, maybe not even to this decade, but the Lord is doing something. We tend to overestimate what God wants to do in our life this year and underestimate what he can do in our, in our lifetime. And I go, do you have the vision? Do you have the vision to live a life that can embrace the trickle? That's where the kingdom of God is so often found. Sydney and I were sitting down on the couch this week, and we said, okay, you know, we've let go of a lot of bad habits this month. We've picked up some good ones. And so what's, what's Tuesday going to look like when the fast is over? We're not going to keep fasting because we don't want to die. But we've, we've been connecting with the Lord. And I go, there's some things that we've been doing that we can keep doing. And I go, for those of you that have experienced intimacy with the Lord this month, don't stop. Don't stop because you get to the end of the 30 days. Keep going. Keep pushing in. Keep pursuing the Lord diligently. Because the trickle leads to the downstream, and the downstream is where the blessing of God is found. There's some of you that kind of self-selected out this month. You didn't try anything. And I just want to encourage you. Now's a great time to start. It's never too late. Download the prayer guide from last month. God doesn't care if you're praying last month's prayers. He's not going to look at you and go, oh, Dennis, that's last month's prayers, man. What's the problem? Do you know how honored your heavenly father would be if you'd begin taking him seriously? He'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. Take a step. I just want to end. I just want to speak to those of you for just a minute that are not Christians, okay? I know there are some of you here that aren't followers of Jesus. You're kind of checking this whole thing out. This is not my sermon notes. I just want to speak to you from like one dude to another guy or girl, whoever you are, okay? I just want to encourage you for a second. The life you are looking for, and I say this with love and grace, the life you are looking for will only be found in Jesus. I don't say that with arrogance. I just say that with grace and with truth. Everything else pursued outside of the context of Jesus, it is temporarily satisfying. Life with Jesus is hard. Life with Jesus at times can be frustrating. There are times when life with Jesus does not look like the front of the box. I'm not going to be the guy that stands up here and says, hey, if you pray the prayer, if you get in the water, if you're filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden everything works out the way. That's not the way it always happens. You read the Scriptures, and people give their lives to Jesus, and sometimes they get killed for it. You give your life to Jesus, and sometimes your friends abandon you for it. You give your life to Jesus, and sometimes things get impossibly hard. But do you know what happens when you give your life to Jesus? You get Jesus. And when you get Jesus, it doesn't matter what else you have. When you get Jesus, it doesn't matter what else comes. And I go, you can have Jesus. And some of you have been sitting here all night and you're like, what's this guy talking about? A river, a temple, is this a cult? No eating, what's happening? This is crazy. And I just wanna challenge you, if you've seen something here tonight that piques your curiosity, if there's a place where you feel short on joy and hope and peace and love and life, if there's a place where your best efforts have led you to dead-end realities, if there's any curiosity, just come talk to me. 
I'll be over by the respond banner in a little bit. We're not going to force you into anything. We're not going to twist your arm. I just want to tell you, this life that we've been talking about tonight, it's available to every single one of you, not based on your merit, your strength, your gifts, your passion. It's based you because Jesus Christ, the God of all gods, came to the earth. He died a sinner's death. He raised in victory on the third day. And he said, anyone who wants life with me, come to me. And tonight, you can confess him as Lord. You can be baptized. You can be filled with the Spirit of God. And the trickle can begin bubbling up under the doorstep of your life. Don't leave here without that. That's all I got. I love you. Let's stand. I'm going to pray over us. And we're going to enter into a time of prayer and communion together. Let me pray for us. God, I love you, and I love these people. Thank you for what you're doing among us. God, would you just stir up in us all that you want to do in us, in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, and for the good of all those that call on the name of Jesus. Amen.